Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1,346. Today on Cars Yeah, I'm celebrating the 7th annual Carmel Mission Classic that takes place on Wednesday, August 14th at the Carmel Mission in Carmel-by-the-Sea during the Monterey Pebble Beach Car Week. For more information, go to carmelmissionclassic.org. I just keep showing up. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest calling in from beautiful Carmel-by-the-Sea, California, Ed Greco. Hey, Ed, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am buckled up, ready for a fun ride, ready to go. Here we go. Ed Greco has been the poster and event artist for the Carmel Mission Classic for years. He spent the bulk of his career as the owner of marketing agencies with the emphasis on advertising and collateral production for companies, both nationally and internationally. His scope of work included assignments on television and corporate images, film production, animation, art direction, illustration, and cartooning. With several national awards, he worked in display in the U.S. as well as Europe and the Middle East. Though retired now, kicking back and having some fun in his life from the agency world, he remains active as a consultant. He works with galleries from time to time with a special emphasis on commissions and assignments and, of course, providing the magnificent imagery for the Carmel Mission Classic. I love the poster work you do there, Ed. So I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Before we jump into the questions, would you take a brief moment, share a little bit more about your career, perhaps a little bit about what you're doing these days for fun as a retired guy? And of course, you must have some kind of a passion for automobiles because your imagery is spectacular. Well, thank you very much. I grew up in San Jose, California. I went to uh, Bellarmine, college prep as a kid. I went on to Santa Clara after that. I majored in economics. So, so don't tell me, don't ask me how I got into the art thing. It's just a, been a passion all my life since I was a little kid and the whole creative process, but it transcends just doing artwork. I, I'm just a hands-on guy. I love working with wood. I love building things. I just like that kind of thing. So anything I can do that fosters my creative juices I'm into. And, you know, the art in that capacity comes and goes because sometimes I'm really into it. And other times, all of a sudden, my mind is in a different direction. And all of that's good. But, you know, I got into the marketing after I got out of college. And just one thing led to another. So here I am. (laughs) And there you are. Well, I have some fun. I'll let our listeners know because I worked for the first 11 years of my life in graphic design, advertising, promotion, marketing, and all that. And so Ed and I share somewhat of the same background, so we had a lot to chat about. But today we're going to talk a little bit about cars. We're going to talk about your life. We're going to talk about the Carmel Mission Classic and those absolutely wonderful uh, poster pieces you do for them every year. I love them. I love the whimsy in them, the characters and everything. But first, I want to start with a success quote or maybe some kind of mantra that you've lived your life by, or maybe it's something new these days. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So Ed, take the wheel. Well, you know, to say any one particular thing is a driver in your life, I suppose there's it would be a little confining. There's so many things that define us, but if there's anything, one thing in particular, I've passed it on to my kids over the years, 
I was listening to the Johnny Carson show years and years and years ago, and they happened to have Woody Allen on one night. And it was at the time when Woody Allen was really riding the crest, making one successful movie after another. And, and uh, you know, in his inimitable way, you know, kind of nervous. And Johnny just looks at me, he says, Jesus, uh, Woody, he says, you've had so many successful movies and you're really doing well. He says, what's the secret of your success? And Woody just kind of pauses, looks at me, he says, I don't know. He says, I just keep showing up. <laughs> just show and, up. I like that. <laughs> and I thought about that because, you know, I think that is the secret, a large part of the secret of anybody's success. We all have talents in some capacity. Everybody brings something to the table. And I just am a believer that if you got some talent and you're willing to work and you just keep showing up, you're going to get your share. You're just going to get your share. And I, my daughter's in the business. So she lives in New York, and she's a very successful stylist in New York. And she spent a lot of years learning her craft and working side jobs and everything else. To, she called me, oh, this was a couple of years ago now, but she said, because she always calls me about, you know, sharing ideas and one thing or another. And she said, you know, you, you said to me, remember when I was a kid and you said to me, hey, just keep showing up and... <laughs> She said, I just did. And she says, and it works. It works. It does. You know, yeah. <laughs> I love it. You know, I'll tell you something, Ed. This is, you've hit on a very simple concept, but it is oh so true. Persistence and tenacity and just showing up. My dad gave me that same advice. Uh, he was a very hard worker. He grew up on a farm in Texas and then started his own architectural firm. And, you know, it was really tough and hard. And, uh, he just said, you know, you just keep showing up. And I remember years of previous business I worked in where I was responsible for 80 employees plus. And when those employees that were causing some challenges by not showing up or showing up late, I remember saying that over and over again. All you have to do is show up. <laughs> That's half of the challenge. Just get here on time, for goodness sake. Here, I bought you an alarm clock and I bought a lot of alarm clocks over the years. But I think that's great advice, especially for young people. So many people think that you can be an overnight success, especially with all the social media and YouTube, and they think, oh, these people just showed up and did something, and now they're famous. And no, it took a lot of days of showing up, right? Yeah, the proverbial uh, overnight success, the comedian that spent 25 years doing stand-up yeah. yeah. before all of a sudden he became an overnight success. Yeah, exactly. I've heard that story, too. Well, let's talk a little bit about Perhaps a little bit of a passion you have for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when cars kind of struck a fancy in you? Well, again, I, you know, I look at life as eras. We go from one era to another. And as a kid, I don't know, in my neighborhood, we were all, we started out with bikes. I remember a friend of mine that lived down the street and we all hung out together and he had this big, big colonial house with a big backyard and pathways that ran around from the front yard to the backyard. And we used to use it as a racetrack to race our bikes. But, you know, it was from there, that was back in the 50s, man, when cars were everything. And, you know, you just grew up that way and we all hung out together and we went from bikes to motorcycles to cars and we built soapbox cars and, and it's either in you or it's not. You know, I look at a lot of friends that they could care less about a car, cars and appliance. It takes them from point A to point B. And that's cool because that's what it is. But to some people, it's just, it's a passion. 
it's uh, an art form, it's whatever, and you're either there or you're not. If you're there, you just have a camaraderie with other people that have it. But if you don't, you don't. You don't. Yeah, the gene's not there. You brought back a great memory for me, Ed, because growing up, I had a friend and his parents had a lot of money. They had this beautiful big Spanish house on the hill, and it had a lot of grounds. And they had the same kind of thing. These pathways went around the house, and they went in the back and around the tennis court and the pools. And we set up a little raceway for our Schwinn Stingrays, you know, to race on. And one of the the hard corners that if you missed the apex, you went right into a swimming pool. And I have to say, all of us took a good dunking into that swimming pool with our bicycles if you missed that apex of that one turn. So you got a big smile on my face. That was great fun. We had some great times at his house. I'd like to look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a challenge or a failure you faced along the way. Now, this could be in your life. It could be in your career. It could be in retirement. It doesn't really matter, but share a story with us that kind of pushed you up against a wall, perhaps, and then tell us how you came out of that in a positive light and why that was a great learning experience. Well, I will tell you one that happened to me a few years ago, and uh, it was not as much a challenge in my career, although I've had many and, and, uh, well, let me preface what I'm about to say. When I got out of college, I had a good friend, uh, his name was John Cody, and his father, I wanted to get in the advertising business. And uh, his father uh, worked for a, an agency uh, down in Southern California, and they ran the, uh, they headed up the Chevrolet advertising for California. And uh, not the Chevrolet, excuse me, they were the Dodge Boys. And these are the guys that came up with the, the Dodge Boy campaign. And I talked to John, uh, my college friend, and I said, hey, I'm going down there for some job interviews. He said, I'd like you so much to talk to my dad. So he gave me his name and whatever, and I went down, cold turkey. I went to this agency down on uh, Wilshire Boulevard, and I went in and went up to the third, fourth, fifth floor or whatever. I come up to the receptionist, and I said, my name is Ed Greco. I'm a friend of John Cody. We graduated from Santa Clara together, and I'd like to see Mr. Cody as available. And she said, well, let me check. And he, she went in, and uh, all of a sudden, this guy comes out. And he said, oh, you're a friend of John's. Oh, come on in. And in the middle of this day, unannounced or whatever, the guy took me into his office, and he spent about two hours with me. And I was just – and here I am, an ingenue kid coming out of you – know, and he spent the first hour telling me all the reasons why I shouldn't go into the advertising <laughs> business. <laughs> and then he spent about the second hour saying all the things, the reason I should, and what a great business it was. And one of the things that he said to me that, that absolutely stuck throughout my whole career and was always talk about a mantra. He said, plan on losing accounts. He said, I don't care how good you are. And I don't care how long, you know, how well your campaigns go. You're going to lose accounts and you can't worry about it. Just move on and get a new one. And I absolutely internalized as a very young man. And I thought about it many, 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 many times over the years. And those times when you're just riding the crest and all of a sudden you get new management, a company is sold, whatever the reason is, all of a sudden they and they come in and clean house and you're out and you go like, uh-oh. And one of the things that taught me is 
never put your all your eggs in one basket. So I spent a lot of time trying to diversify my business. But those are the things that, you know, you internalize and you uh, it gives you steel cojones, if you will. And you just got to move through it. And the funny thing is, over a period of time, you realize you do move through it. There's nothing that, you know, you move through it. Something else comes along. And all of a sudden you go like, how did I get here? And again, it's because you keep showing up. So they all dovetail, in my opinion. And the nice part about getting older, you realize, hey, you just don't worry about stuff anymore. (laughs) Well, that's a good way to be. You know, you touched on something important here, no matter what business, but since you and I shared the same career path when I was in my first part of my life, I realized that. And I worked for a great gentleman named Richard Warner. And Uh, He gave me a lot of opportunities to start from a paste-up artist to become a creative director. And then one day I said, how can I make more money? And he said, be an account executive, bring work in. And I went, okay, can I do both? He goes, yeah, three days a week you could be creative and two days a week you put a suit on, go downtown and knock on doors like you did. You go into buildings and try to get past the receptionist. And uh, boy, if that isn't a humbling experience, I don't know what is, you know? It it certainly is. Yeah. But you know, you touched on something that I don't know if you were a you watched uh, Mad Men. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, when that show, the first part of that show, the first season or two, that was the era I remember. I mean, I grew up, you know, when I was getting into the business, that's actually how it was. You used to joke about the creative guys. I mean, the uh, count guys that would go out for these three martini lunches. They would take the notes and they would, uh, you know, and they would stick it under the door. And then the creative guys would get a hold of it and, and shove it back over the transom over the door on the other side, you know. And uh, along came the creative guys that started what we call now these boutique agencies. And they went like, you know what? We're, we understand the business. We can talk to these clients ourselves. And we don't need the account guys that just go and schmooze. And that's how uh, a lot of these, what they call the small boutique agencies that had, that garnered big accounts because they were the creative guys going and meeting with the clients and doing it, you know, and then instead of translating that back to some creative, they had the firsthand information from the client. And that's how the business evolved. Yeah, that's, that's exactly that's what I, I did. Got. Yeah. That's exactly how I got, you know, and when I first started my agency. Yeah. Well, when you can sit across from the client and listen to what their needs are and then sit there and show them ideas or relate ideas versus just being, all right, Phil, I'll go back to the office and we'll get to work on that. Uh, It's a lot more personable and it's a lot cheaper for the client. Of course, you don't have that middle guy, but that's exactly, I'm sitting here smiling and remember those days. It was quite fun. I liked that, that interaction with the client directly. Let's have a little bit of fun or continue our fun here. I'd love to hear about your first special car in your life. Maybe it was your first car. Maybe it was a car you finally were able to afford. Doesn't matter, but tell me what that was and share a memory you have about that ride. Well, (laughs) when did you say that? Because my actual first car was a hand-me-down 1951 Ford that I was 16 years old, just got my driver's license, and my sister was getting married. And uh, she, just before the wedding, she says, look, I got this car, I don't need it, and you can have it. And I'm going like, are you kidding me? I I mean, it was a Peter, a little Ford Coupe, you know, but still, it was a wheels, man. I was 16. (laughs) And I drove that car for a, a month or two, and all of a sudden, I came home from school one day, and the car was gone. <laughs> and I said, 
I asked my dad, hey, what happened to this car? And it's, he says, oh, he says, I sold it. I said, you did what? I said, she gave that to me. She said, he said yeah. He says, I, I had it out. And he said, some guy offered me 50 bucks. <laughs> some guy offered me 50 bucks. Boom, it was gone. So, so anyway, but I, that's just kind of an aside because I actually, my first real passion for a car was a, I wanted an MG T-Series car so bad ever since I was a little kid. And by that time, this was about you know, 1960, and they were into the MGA. And I'd always, for a couple of years there, I was sad that they changed from the old T concept into the MGA, which is that kind of envelope body. And I, and I wanted an MGTF so bad. And I found one up in Pasatiempo. And I talked my mother into loaning me the money to get that car. It was 750 bucks. <laughs> and it was a beautiful little MGTF 1500. And I drove that car senior year of high school, all through college. And I, I ended up having that car for almost 30 years before I finally sold it. And I'm kind of thinking about, I have a friend that's got a PC that he wants to get rid of. And I'm, I may be getting that because I still never lost the passion for that. That those T Series MGs, those, those were the forerunners of the whole sports car movement in the United States. Guys brought those T Series back from the war after you know, and that started, especially out in California, that started the whole sports car. Uh, but anyway, my first passion for a car was an MGTF, and I had it for a long time, and. Uh, still love it now that car came out in 54 i think is that 54 was the mgtf after the td they had the you know and 54 still 55 because in 55 they were actually they only built it for half a year because in 54 they went to the tf but they kept the 1250 cc engine of the td and then in 55 they bumped it up to 1,500 cc's, and they built that car for a little over half a year, and that's when they were introducing the MGA. So I had this PF, which was the 1,500 is a little bit rare in that sense, and but it was just the best model. It had rack and pinion steering and had all the stuff that it was as modern as you could get for that style of a car very drivable well this will bring a smile to your face ed when i was about five years old my dad bought a 1949 mgtc oh there you go he drove that car every day to work and my sister and i would sit in that back shelf back there behind my mom and dad and go for rides and he bought us these leather helmets and goggles you know that we look like we're like you know pilots and so bugs didn't get in our eyes and stuff. And yeah, those cars have a special place. Of course, the TF body style changed a little bit. Yeah, go back to the old MG. I think that'll bring a big smile to your face and you live in a beautiful area for drives. Is that the seller's remorse car for you, the car that you wish you still had? Well, at this point, I do. At the time, it was time for it. I have a 1955 Jaguar XK140 drop head. And I've had that car for many years and it's been a driver and a about three years ago, I had a little fender bender and it decided it needed a little TLC. And what was going to be a paint job and maybe change the interior has turned into <laughs> just about a body off restoration. It's called scope and creep. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm way in over my head on this one, but I, the, it's almost done and it's going to be absolutely stunning. 
and I personalized it. You know, I, this car is driver. All my cars are driver cars, and I personalized them because I drive them. And when I say that, I put a five-speed transmission in it. I put disc brakes on the front. Everything is cosmetically looks identical, but it's much more drivable. And everything, you know, the upgrades that make it a really fun car to drive rather than just a because nothing that I've ever had is a closet queen. I, they are for the road, and I drive the heck out of them. And Good for you. That's awesome. Well, I would like to talk a little bit about the Carmel Mission Classic and these posters you've been doing for them for years, because I know you're retired, so the art you do now is for fun. It's for you. You do sell pieces and do commissions if you want, but you're in the, a wonderful, as they say, golden years, I guess, of your life with your Jaguar, and you can paint when you want, play golf, whatever. But I would like to talk a little bit about these posters because for those folks that don't know about the Carmel Mission Classic, again, it takes place on August 14th, right in the middle of the week of Car Week, Pebble Beach, Monterey, all the wonderful activities down there. And Ed's been doing the poster for this event. I had uh, Frank DiPiola, I've had Rich Pepe, the guys that run that show, on the show as guests. But your posters are really cool. And I love the characters you put in them with the Catholic, and I wouldn't say the popes in them, but the uh, the monks, if you will, and these wonderful looks of face. I mean, I'm saying it all wrong, but just the character in what you're doing. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about these posters, this art you do for that event, and what it means to you. Well, okay, first off, I live there. My wife used to teach school there, and I've been a parishioner at the Carmel Mission since my I lived in San Jose, but my folks had a summer home in Carmel, and and I considered myself part of the parish for 60 years, 70 years, 65 years. So in that sense, I have a very strong tie with the Carmel Mission. But aside from that, it's a very historical place. I don't care what religion you are or if you're religious at all. It's a very historical place and very important historically to the state of California and to the whole United States in that sense because of the history of all what happened at that time. And so it's a very special place to be. And the venue there for a car show because of the courtyard and everything, it's just phenomenal. But the so when they asked me to do uh, be part of that show, they asked me if I would be interested in doing a, you know, it's just to kind of, make a fun event out of it they said would you do a, a display an art display for you know and i said this when i first started doing i said i'll do you one better i'll do you a poster promotional poster for it that you can use and then you can auction off the art or donate it and you can auction off the art at the show and it'll be a little you know fundraiser so that became that's how it started it became a tradition and but the style of those posters, and I really I thank you for your compliment. It's always nice to hear, and I appreciate it. But there's been many illustrators and so forth that I've been my heroes and the people that you try to emulate or things, you know, or, or whatever. And I could name a dozen of them that have been very influential in my career and my style. But one of the guys that's probably first and foremost is Norman Rockwell. Because I, a little aside... Regarding Rockwell, as much as at this point now, he's a national icon. In his day, as great an artist as he was, critics poo-pooed him a lot because, oh, his stuff was too photographic. He was an illustrator, not an artist. 
And I just find that so arrogant, so shallow, because what Rockwell brought to the table was a sense of Americana. And his stuff, if you look at it from a distance, it almost does look photographic because it, he was so good at that. But if you really look at it, and look at these kids, and they had a few too many freckles, or they had their feet were just a little bit too, their shoes were just a little bit bigger than. So if you really analyze this stuff, it was bigger than life. And the difference between a photograph, photograph is just a picture of something, but the art of it is taking that image and stirring people's imagination. And he had a sense of humor. He, oh, there was always a story in what he did. That's the kind of thing that I try to do with my art, bring story behind it, oh, the sense of humor, the pathos. And so, you know, in particular, the, you're asking me about the posters. Every year, it became right after the first year. The first thing, when the first poster I did it was going to be, I said, okay, I want to show old car. I want to show some kind of a classic car. I want to show that it's at the mission. And, you know, how am I going to do that in a fun way? And that first poster I did was a, I, ooh, a late 20s, early 30s vintage Alfa Romeo a race car. Guy's in a race helmet, and he's just coming by the mission on a dirt road back when, you know, when it, how it would have looked back in those days. So this mission in the background, and here's this car. Here's a couple of Padres standing on the side of the road with their, you know, trying to hold their hats on because this thing, you know, in awe of this thing going by. And so it became apparent that whatever the particular subject of the poster from then on is always going to have three elements. It's going to have a, a vintage car, it's going to have the mission in some capacity, and it's going to have some monks in there. And if you look at all the series of posters, there's monks in the background, they're peeking out from behind a tree. A couple of them, one I did with a, um, a couple of years ago with a auto union car, big, you know, the old silver auto union race car, and it's coming right at you. And here's this monk is driving it and he's got his finger up like, you know, like number one as he's going, you know, and there's some of his compadres standing on the side of the road, you know, waving him on. But it's that kind of thing. And you say, how can I add a little fun to this, a little irony and still be relevant? And uh, that's how those posters have evolved. Well, they're very cool. And the way you describe it, now I see that because I love Norman Rockwell and the characterization and little touches he puts in that make you kind of smile, smirk a little bit, and realize the moment of time. You've done a marvelous thing there, Ed. So thank you for that. They're absolutely fantastic. And for those of you folks who are fortunate enough to join me and Ed and some of my other guests uh, from last week and this week at the Karma Mission Classic, many years they also have uh, last year's and previous year's posters for sale. So you can buy those. So you can line your whole garage wall with those things or your den or wherever you like to hang artwork in your house. They're all fantastic. You can go online and uh, find them all over the web. I just put in Ed Greco Karma Mission Classic posters, and they'll be out there. So, Ed, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 
1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Cars Yeah TV show? It's a weekly visit to some of my past Cars Yeah podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Cars Yeah TV is making its mark. Cars Yeah TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV. Fubo TV, Fios by Verizon, or you can stream it through Lucas Oil Racing Television online. And they said I only had a face for podcasting. Okay, Ed, we're back. Here's a bit of an introspective question for you. If you came back tomorrow, reincarnated as a vehicle, a car, truck, bike, whatever, what would Ed be and why? Oh, that's a good one. Well, you know, any car guy would name a dozen cars that is, that would be relevant. But I, if I had to pick one, I would say I mentioned that late 20s, early 30s vintage Alfa Romeo. And I guess it's for a couple of reasons. One is my all-time favorite, I would say, if you classify who is the greatest race driver that ever lived, is probably Tazio Nuvolari. And I say that because I'm not taking anything away from Senna or Phil Hill or any of the other guys that have come along, Juan Sanjo, that have really, you know, brought the racing to a, its apex. But Nuvolari, I always say he's kind of, to me, he's kind of the Louis Armstrong of auto racing because Louis Armstrong, there isn't a trumpet player, a jazz musician to this day that no matter how great they are and do things probably that Louis Armstrong never did. Don't say that there's something that they took from Louis Armstrong because he was the forerunner. He was the guy with the trumpet in jazz when jazz was first getting started in the United States that did things with a trumpet that nobody ever even thought of before. And that was Tazio. Tazio invented the four-wheel drift. He did things with a car that nobody ever thought of doing, and he was going like, you know, even Enzo says, geez, how does he do that? I mean, did you see that? You know, and everybody from then on took a little page from his book 
And uh, you, you got to respect the guys that were the pioneers. And he drove a lot of that vintage alpha that I'm talking about. And I had an opportunity a couple of years ago to have a ride in one. My good friend and Ferrari mechanic, John Bajoli had a client that had this car. I think it was in the Quail or or at the or at the Concourse or whatever. But he had to bring the car after the show. He had to bring the car over to John to get all the brake linings changed and all that kind of stuff because for the show he had all the original stuff on it, and because he also raced this car in the historics, so he had to put on the good stuff that wouldn't break down when he's racing. And he had it there, and he was getting ready to test drive it. And I was talking to the mechanic, uh, you know, who was in charge of it. Now, and he says, "Well, you want to take a ride?" <laughs> and uh, and he took me in that car for a test drive because he was testing it out. And we went out on some back roads, and that was a kick. So if I were gonna, if it was going to be any car, if I were going to be, I would be that car. Nice, very nice. Well, we're up to what I call the last lap of the lightning round here. Ed, and I'm going to rattle off a bunch of questions and have you give us some very quick responses of that alpha throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Patience. Yeah, especially <laughs> with old cars. Would you share Absolutely. one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes over the years? Yeah. The risk of getting philosophical, always be yourself. If you're yourself and true to yourself, you save a whole lot of time and you cut through a whole lot of superfluous stuff that you have to change later on anyway, because at some point, you, if you start out just being yourself, you win a few, lose a few, but the ones you win are keepers. Yeah, nicely said. How about a resource? There's so many these days, but is there kind of a go-to for you? Well, the go-to guy for me that probably was my greatest mentor in the advertising business was a guy named Bob Noel, and you probably don't know him by name, but I'll tell you there isn't a person that's listening that won't know his product. Bob was a guy that was was the uh, creative director for a Leo Burnett agency in Chicago. He was on the board of directors, and he's the guy that wrote the campaigns for Charlie the Tuna, Keebler Elves. As a matter of fact, the little one with the white, the little Keebler Elf with the white hair, that was him because the cartoonist that did that say, hey, Bob, this is you because Bob had this white hair. The Maytag repairman, Morris the cat. I mean, I could just go on and on with the campaigns that this guy wrote. And his daughter worked for me uh, years ago. And Bob came out to and retired and moved out to Pebble Beach. And he comes into my office one day and he said, look, I need a job. He says, I just... I'm going stir crazy at home. Could you use me? I'll, all I need is a desk and a place to work. And I said, are you kidding me? And uh, he worked for us for about uh, two years. But in that course of that, we became very, very, very close friends. And the things that I learned from him, and one thing specifically that I think is just golden, and if I have any heartache with what I see in advertising nowadays, and sometimes it just frustrates me that to tears is he always said he was always a stickler for the relevance. You would come up with a, some creative idea and he'd go like, what's the relevance? Creative is, you know, making stuff flash and, and move around and look cool and all like that. If it isn't relevant. So tell me what the story is, what the product is, how are you 
and what is relevant about your idea here. And if it's relevant and it's right on target and then it emphasizes your product and what the benefits of that product are, then you've got an act. If it's just creative and flashy, no good. And that has been a mantra for me ever since I, you know, the rest of my business life. And I just believe that. And I, if I had any, anything to pass on to young advertising people, I would say take a page out of that and because everything else is wasted. Nice. <laughs> nice. How about if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink? or a meal with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? In the automobile? Oh, God, probably Enzo. Yeah, wouldn't um, that be something? Yeah, maybe Enzo and Nuvarali. How do we say his name wrong? But you know what I'm talking about. Your guy, maybe those two guys together. <laughs> that would be fun. Very cool. How about a book, Ed? Is there a book you'd like to share? Oh, gosh, yeah. And it sounds really funky. And I've actually had people say, you know, you, you get in conversations, you know, what's the most, what did you learn or how, what was the thing that changed your life or influenced your life? And as superfluous or trite as it sounds, for me, it was gone with the wind. I will tell you why. Uh, as briefly as I can, I was probably, I think I was in sixth grade or something like that, uh, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I got sick and I was sick for about three weeks and home in bed. And there was a book sitting there, and I read it cover to cover. And I subsequently, you know, later on, years later, I saw the movie. And as great as the movie was, it just never did justice to the book because this, the real story of that book was this kind of love story between these two people, you know, Red and Scarlet. And mostly what it was that went through this whole epic for years, you know, through the war and all that kind of stuff was until that final climax when it was just too late was that he loved her and she loved him but their pride always got in the way because he was always he wanted to tell her that he loved her but he just about the time he was guarding himself she would do something that set him aside and she did the same thing so every time they wanted to get together their pride got in the way and they blew it until the end, when he finally walked out, he said, frankly, I don't give a damn. And I remember thinking at the time, that'll never happen to me. And it never has, in all honesty, because when I said about being yourself, that's what I, you stick your neck out, you be yourself, and you be true to who you are. There are going to be people that take advantage of that. And those are the people that you want out of your life as soon as possible, because the rest of them are the keepers. You're honest and you be honest with your feelings and the ones that appreciate it and take you in, those are the ones you want in your life. Yeah. The rest of them you know. Absolutely. Pride, one of the seven deadly sins, indeed. All right, we're up to the checkered flag and I'm going to buy you a car today, any cool collector car you want. I'm going to park in your garage there, but there are three rules to this game. It's the only collector car you can have. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with, and you have to drive it, which is no problem for you because you're a guy that likes to drive cars. So what can I buy you today, Ed? A Ferrari 275, short wheelbase, aloe body Ferrari. <laughs> what color would you like that to be? Red with tan. Not Only that. because if you're going to have that car, it's got to be red with tan. Yeah, I think so. That, I think, is probably top five, one of the most beautiful cars 
ever created. Oh, you picked an expensive one, Ed. I'm going to have to get my big checkbook out for this one, but I think it'll be in good hands. Ed, you've taken me on a great ride today. This has been so much fun. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Could you give us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the coast highway towards Big Sur? That's a nice drive in that Ferrari 275 SWB. Alloy bodied, of course, in red. (laughs) Well... I've gotten to an age where I don't give people words of wisdom anymore. I share my own feelings. And I used to say, hey, let me tell you this. And I, sometime back, I went like, no, let me rephrase that. Let me offer you this. I don't tell anybody anymore. So be happy. Do what you got to do. Be kind. All those platitudes. But if there's anything I got to say that I used to tell my kids, don't ever let people tell you nice guys finish last. Nice guys always finish first. They don't always finish first in the short run, but in the long run, nice guys always finish first. Very nicely said. And I know in our pre-show chat, you said that uh, there are times when some of your art is in a gallery down in Carmel. Would we like to do a shout-out for that gallery's name? Well, it's the uh, Amsterdam Gallery down on Dolores Street in Carmel. You know, and if you want to look up my art, just look up Ed Greco Artist on Google. you see all kinds of stuff. Or if you go to the gallery and look at their website and just they have a list of artists you know just click on Ed Greco and you'll see my stuff I do all kinds of things and but I like to do all kinds of work I'm working on cowboy art right now actually matter of fact what I'm doing for this year's mission show in addition to uh, all the other just normal car stuff is a series of car paintings I'm calling it cars and cowboys because there was a series I mean a time when Cars and horses were side by side. You know, the transition from horses to cars, there was that period there when they were working side by side. And so, and a lot of times the, the humor was that the cars didn't work and it was that, that's how they, you know, the people used to yell out, get a horse. So I've done a series of paintings that I'm going to show this year that are fun cowboy art juxtaposed with some of the cars of the era. So that, I'm doing that right now and I'm having fun with it. Very cool. I'll remind our listeners, remember to attend the 7th Annual Carmel Mission Classic that takes place Wednesday, August 14th at the Carmel Mission in Carmel-by-the-Sea during Monterey Pebble Beach Car Week. You can see Ed. You'll see me there and all the other guests that have been on the show here in the last week. For more information, go to carmelmissionclassic.org. Ed, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise, your wisdom. This has been fun. Uh, Until you and I talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you. Thank you. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important, too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Chris Kimball, CFP, is just the man for the job. He'll guide you down that road without driving you crazy. For over 25 years, Chris has helped people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. With a master's degree in financial services, he is eminently qualified, and he's a car guy, too. Learn more at chrisvkimble.com or call 866-ON-A-PLAN. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member FINRA SIPC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! 
Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.